from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you. Happy Fresh Friday on this March 1st. We welcome a new month and thank you so much for joining us on the G and Ursula show. G is out again today. Mike Lewis is in once again. Good morning, Ursula. You know, it's a little bit uh, cold here in the It in is the chilly it's in the studio. Here. So for the first time, I think since we've st- started the show. I'm wearing my coat. <laughs> Everyone's wearing Well, yeah, Chef is wearing a coat as well. Yeah. It is chilly. Well, but we're going to warm you up because we're going to have a lot of topics that you will want to weigh in on. And we invite you to do that on our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, cairo One of the questions we're asking is, should the protesters arrested at Seattle City Hall be charged with a crime? We'll get into that here coming up in our top stories right now. Let's get to it. Top stories brought to you by Wayscar Ford Isuzu in Auburn. So this is a Seattle Times headline story. To buy a Seattle area home today, you need to earn nearly $214,000 a year. That is according to a brand new report by Zillow, which says that it is the fifth highest income needed among major cities in the country and the highest outside of California. So this report is based on the idea that you're making a 10% down payment, you have an interest rate of less than 7%, I think it was 6.6%, and you are only spending 30% of your income on housing, which is generally considered affordable. That right. mean, means it, it, it is... Um, Although m- many people are uh, doing correct. significantly higher than that. Right? <laughs> correct. The Seattle Times reports this also defines a typical home as one that is $700,000, which I ask if you live in the city of Seattle. Pretty where, typical. Um, well, I mean, in in I would assume even higher. It's higher, um, but <laughs> yes. it's hard to know because no one's selling houses. Uh, that's true. But what is eye popping about this study is that just in twenty twenty, Mike, you needed to earn one hundred twenty thousand dollars to afford a typical home. So between January of twenty twenty and today, the income needed, according to Zillow, is nearly eighty percent higher. Yet the median income in this region has only gone up by twenty two percent. Yeah, that's actually a product of interest rates more than property values. Property values have not gone up that same level, that same percentage. But interest rates, as you all know, uh, have gone up considerably higher. And that is what is, it's making the houses not unaffordable from a price standpoint, but from an interest load standpoint. Uh, Correct. Um, And so one of the things that this report points out is that you know many buyers have to rely on loans or gifts from family members to help cover down payments. Right. Um, that's not something that is afforded to many people. No. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, it feels to me like we're approaching this housing affordability thing in part in the wrong way. I've not seen in my lifetime, uh, I mean, other maybe in the beginning part of, you know, our both both of our lifetimes in the 1960s, I have yet to see a city build its way out of housing affordability problems. I mean, they, te- they tend to get solved by a couple of things. Major recession, um, major right. layoffs. When 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 you have when you have fewer people able to buy prices, prices drop. The supply demand equation doesn't seem to work because I don't know that we can build houses fast enough. I think that we need to address this thing, perhaps on on the tax end of it. We create so many incentives to buy a house that renters do not get. I mean, so many incentives to, to buy a house, all kinds of tax breaks. Do you know, let me ask you a quick question, and we'll put this out for Chef and anyone else there who wants to answer this. 
I just learned about this today, although I've been benefiting from it. Do you know what imputed rental income exclusion is? The imputed rental income exclusion is. No, it I don't will even make know total imputed no. is. Do either of you know? No. no. All right. So, so this actually is something. If you own a house, you have been benefiting from this. When you are making Ooh. a house payment, you are effectively paying yourself income because you're paying into property that you're making money on, right? You, if you have that as a rental property, you have to pay taxes on that income. You do not pay taxes on income that you are paying yourself. This is actually a fairly sizable tax benefit that, that we get because you're making money on this house in the same manner, as certainly in Seattle you are, yes. in the same manner that you'd be making on a rental property. But if it's you paying you, you don't pay any taxes on this. Now, if you are paying you and your own business... You are paying taxes on this, but not when it comes to property. There are like five major deductions that you get when you own a house that renters are not afforded. You shift the tax code and you allow renters, you give people a financial incentive to rent as opposed to buy an equal financial incentive. And I think you take the pressure off home ownership. You actually, the people who have rental properties, really, they are going to benefit from this. But it feels to me like we're not doing the whole equation. Yeah, you got to build more houses. I get it. But you also have to create a tax incentive for renters to get the same benefit as homeowners. Yeah, that actually what? was structured like that in many countries, but not here. You make a great point, and I had no... What did you call it? Imputed? <laughs> this is today's, <laughs> gonna, today's <laughs> trivia question. <laughs> imputed um, imputed <gasps> rental income exclusion. Now, I'm oh. sure there's people out there in the text line. You guys probably... There's probably a lot of people who know about this. I didn't. I didn't. I've been a homeowner for quite a while. You've been a homeowner <laughs> for quite a while. Like, and, and I didn't realize this, and I thought, as soon as I read about it, like... Well, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Of course. I mean, they create it's the whole the whole country's uh, tax structure is based on ownership and not renting. And I think that is part of the problem we're dealing with here because homes are not being purchased by new home buyers. Homes are being purchased by investment companies. Well, and you bring up a great point. And here's and my that's question. A, that's one of the other problems as <laughs> yes. well. Yes. So here's my question. You know that uh, in places like London, Melbourne, Toronto, places in Canada, I, I, I've seen it where uh, Toronto and Vancouver, I believe, uh, have a 10% property tax on non-primary residences. We we So basically, to try to tax these investors, should that be something that is Without any question. Here? I mean, if you look at, I, I know this from personal, like family, familial relationships, um, of someone I know who has a home in, in London and then a uh, another studio for doing artwork. This person's an illustrator. And that second property is taxed much more heavily than the first property. Any sort of investment home, any sort of vacation home, all of that stuff, we don't do that here. And again, I think that we need to address the issue of investment companies buying up property and we need to invest, we need to pay attention to the tax structure that pushes us this direction, even when you'd be happy being a lifetime, a lifetime renter because that is your that's so that is your your equity and your leverage yes. for the rest of your life how you finance your kids education all that kind of stuff flows from one thing home ownership and we need to relook at that before we do we're going to ever solve this problem I just have to add one thing because I've seen so many affordability headlines over yes. the past five, seven yes. years. Oh, I did not even click on this one this morning until you sent it over to me. Yes. I'm like, okay, I'll take a look. I know. I, I just I, realized it, this is the nail in the coffin for me. No, like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm not joking. And this is a lot of people. If we're talking about needing to make two hundred thousand dollars to buy an average home in King Pierce or Snohomish counties, crazy. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I will that's literally based on thirty thirty percent. That that is uh, 
Okay. To keep it down to 30% of your income. Which... So how do I save if I'm spending 45% of my income on a home? I will I literally have to wait for my parents to die to buy a home. And that And I am lucky because my parents tragic. have resources and they own a home. There's a lot of people whose parents do not own a home and will never have a chance. That's not what I thought you were going with that. He said, <laughs> I have to wait for my parents to have to die. He said, then you go, and I'm lucky because they're sick? I mean, so... No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Obviously, I love my parents, but it's a very no, grim you, way to think about it's it. It's a very grim way to think about well, it. Well, it is, and, I, and it, it hurts my heart to hear, you know, and, and my sons are... are a decade younger than you, or maybe two decades mm-hmm. at, at, at this point. Um, and I did just find out last night that my youngest is going to move back. And I was like, good for you. Hallelujah. Good for you, because he, he knows that the home ownership, condo ownership is never going to be. Did you really say when your kid was moving back, good for you? Oh, heck Yeah. You don't understand. I want. I want to have a family compound. Is I don't your, want my kids. Your, I don't want my kids I, out of my house. I know. I know. And I've started. You started on the wall, and I've seen it. It looks. It looks lovely. Do you? Do you? Is is your is your your son going to be paying rent? He is, and we actually have to talk to. Um, How much? We we haven't figured that what out. What is 30 percent? No, we haven't figured that out. He's going to pay rent, but here's the deal, and this yeah. is where he's lucky. And he, both my sons, recognize this. Right. We are in a position where we don't need his rent. Right. So we are going to use his rent. We are going to have him put it in an in an account that will be solely for his future purchase. Nice. Of, That's very nice of you. Yeah, a property. Okay, a crane mechanic at Boeing's Everett plant says she was treated like a zoo animal by coworkers who allegedly abused her because she is transgender. Rachel Rasmussen has now filed a federal lawsuit in U.S. District Court in Seattle, and she tells King 5 News it wasn't until transitioning that she began having problems at her workplace. I knew at five years old, and coming to accept myself is, is a long story in its own. But by 2010, I could no longer live with that pain. I just wanted the pain to stop. She says the harassment began in 2010. Her lawsuit claims that a manager targeted her for harassment. She was called homophobic slurs. Coworkers would grab her body parts, talk about her genitals, compare trans people to pedophiles. She was allegedly shoulder checked in hallways. Her property was vandalized and even worse. That toxic culture enabled a coworker to sexually assault me. And she says uh, that coworker had approached her from behind, shoved a stick between her legs in front of other male colleagues, and then laughed, claiming it was an accident. And when she reported the incident to the company, Boeing suspended that worker for one day, which her complaint says is what they would essentially give for parking tickets. Everybody at Boeing and in the state of Washington should feel safe to come to work. They should have a harassment-free environment should feel safe to speak up with concerns. So to get away from the harassment, she transferred to a lower paying job on Boeing's DEI team in 2021. But that new position, Mike, was eliminated last year. She says she has applied for nearly 30 other jobs at Boeing to no avail. She wants back pay and damages plus attorney fees. Uh, Boeing has yet to respond to these claims. Certainly a very disturbing story. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a da- sort of a daily dose of of bad Boeing news, right? I mean, and and I don't know that this necessarily is something that you can put in some sort of continuum for Boeing. It it does seem odd to me that 
given the opportunity to move someone to a new place within the company, if this is what the person indeed applied for to to go to a different team of, of people? Because we all know when you work in a big company, your direct supervisor really does influence the the culture. The team. Oh, yeah. You know, you talk to anyone at Amazon, and the people who have a great boss are actually happy with Amazon. The people who have a bad boss are unhappy with Amazon, but it's not Amazon whole. It's their own role within it. So I'm not sure I understand why Boeing wouldn't see the opportunity. Wow, this person is super unhappy, has filed the claims. We had to suspend a coworker for a day for whatever it was that the coworker did. Why not move someone? I mean, why not just at least diffuse the situation and see if you because this process of settling with somebody or going through the lawsuit, it doesn't seem to me like that is going to be. If you're just looking at it in the in the basest possible terms, not cost effective. And if you're looking at it in human terms, still unwise. And I don't know why there wouldn't be. Maybe we'll find out more as this thing moves through. I suspect it's going to be one of those things that's settled before it ever goes to a trial. I'm going to guess that is the case also um, because apparently – um, the coworker was claiming it was a, a, an accident, but a judge found that her report was credible, barred that coworker from any contact with uh, Rasmussen for five years. Uh, but that person apparently is still working at Boeing. So uh, we will continue to follow that, certainly. Okay, remember these protesters that were arrested for disrupting a Seattle City Council meeting this week? <laughs> We will now go into a five-minute recess. So, Mike, the city attorney is now considering charges against the six demonstrators who were arrested for criminal trespass. They were demanding that the council members fund housing for migrant families that have been temporarily staying in hotels in Kent because of what they say are inhumane living conditions outside of Tequila Church. So, uh, you remember uh, the... Meeting was adjourned, and then when the meeting resumed, the protesters started banging on the windows, prompting Councilmember Kathy Moore to ask police to step in. Our physical safety is being threatened by the actions of the demonstrators outside banging on the windows. Okay, so the basic question for you, you be the judge, Mm -hmm. you've read the story, should they be charged? No. Simple answer, no. Ah, okay, Absolutely why? not. Because I say I know. At but, least but, consider it. Uh, but but one and they won't be. And they won't be. I, that's the be. part. I that mean, I was and, and say. because I agree because Ann Davidson understands the po- political end of this, which is to say, I'm looking into it. You would already know. Yes. And, and this and the second part, they would have it would have happened already. And and the second part of that is that. Um, she also realizes that she's pushing into this First Amendment territory right. that protects protesters, even protesters who are noisy, even protesters who are disruptive. There are some exceptions, blocking traffic, making a place unsafe, violence, although I'm not sure that I agree pounding the heel of your hand on a window in a council chamber qualifies as a violence standard. I think people are so spun up on this, on the series of protests over the last four years we've had in Seattle, that they're looking at this thing as this long continuum. Like protests are, are inherently a bit messy. This is why the, the, we have had so many protections. Go back and read the language about every protest, civil rights protest in the 1960s. Go back and look at every single protest, women's rights protests in the 1970s. Look at the language and look at what people said and look about look at how often people advocated. Now I'm not equating this with that from no. a protest from a protest issue standpoint. But the restraint of government and the restraint of the fact that we don't regularly arrest protesters is one of the great hallmarks of this country. It is not a weakness. Okay, so what should have been done in the the case of what happened at Seattle City Hall? I mean, just let them escort them out. 
Ask, which is, and, which and, is if they, what and if did. they refuse to go, you arrest them. Yes, I which mean, is what they did. Simple. Okay, I mean, you you use a simple trespass and and done. And in one case, hand, well, dust your hands uh, of it, and you're and you're obstruction over. Obstruction was uh, the potential charge, which is also a gross misdemeanor. Criminal trespass, gross misdemeanor. They always say up to one year in jail, maximum yeah, fine of yeah, five thousand yeah. dollars. That never happens. Right. But I, I, frankly, you know what? With that disruption, I'm glad that they were arrested. Looking sure. into it a little bit more, I was like, eh, do I think they're actually going to be charged and or convicted? No. Oh, and it'd be silly, too. It really would be silly, too. I understand I, that, I, I Kathy felt, that Kathy felt physically threatened. She's a, she's a former see, King County judge. Understood. I think, and I think she knows that she had I, to use certain verbiage to say, I, think, I need police to step in. I think in. she used that verbiage because that is the standard at which you can start arresting protesters. Yeah, but this was, I don't blame this her. This was not her being physically threatened. This was her understanding the law. Yeah, probably. Okay, still ahead, Chris Sullivan's going to join us because, you know what? Those $15 max tolls on 4 5 and 167. They begin today, but now there's talk about expanding tolls elsewhere. Oh, we're going to get into that next on the G and Ursula Show. a fresh Friday and we were doing some decidedly different tunes because Chris Sullivan is in <laughs> studio. <laughs> hey, Sully. Nick takes care of me. I know. I bring the totally dad t- rock when yeah, Sully comes in the totally, building. That or some really old classic hip hop. Oh, I, like yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. I love it. You know, we've got tolling on our mind right now. And, and why would you? Why would you? Okay, so let's talk about, first of all, $15 max tolls. Yeah, so today, happy uh, $15 max day to all those who celebrate. It is the first day of the new increased toll rates on both 405 and 167. The maxes are now $15. Uh, they used to be 10 The minimums used to be $0.75 cents on 405. Now they're a dollar. They used to be $0.50 cents on 167. Now they're a dollar. And today, we did not hit the max. Oh, I was going to say, how long till we hit the max? My, my, I have set the line in Vegas for Tuesday because today's Friday light. Oh, exactly. Monday can be hit or miss. So if we have an accident, it might. But Tuesdays, Tuesdays, probably, Wednesdays are, yeah, are big, pretty yeah. heavy. And it's kind of interesting. My gut this morning told me that the Mac, the the toll rate algorithm was skewing a little high based on conditions. So like on a Friday light previously, a Friday day that had similar congestion to today, 405 would probably not get above six bucks. It got up to 1225, which felt to me like it was skewing a little high. I just got uh, been doing a, to some X interaction with the Seattle Times traffic reporter, Mike Lindblom, who's like, yeah, they told us they were going to probably juice them a little early to reach those numbers a little bit early. I'm like, OK, so I wasn't wrong. So they're I wasn't, going to artificially do something. Maybe. Well, the algorithm as we went, they might reach those nine or ten dollars maybe a little bit more frequently even in the past when they might not have warranted that so the algorithm changed last night again it's day number one but we did hit a 1225 on 405 which is more than it's ever been we did hit an 1175 on 167 which is higher than it has ever been so yeah even on day one while we didn't hit the max people were paying about two and a half three dollars more 
uh, when it hit the max. And we never hit the maxes on Friday. So, yeah, get ready to pay up. So I'm wondering, Chris, do you think that there would be any way to sort of make people make the pain a little more bearable? If they gave out like travel mugs, if you if you hit the fifteen dollar, if you actually end up paying the fifteen dollar toll, maybe the state sends you like, you know, I paid the fifteen dollar toll and all I got was this lousy travel mug. Well, then, you know, again, our taxes would have to go up to cover the travel mugs. Right, because oh, where's that money going to come from? Right. Oh, you mean take it out of the money that we actually pay? <laughs> exactly. Oh, sorry, I didn't automatically think that, that there would be. A, you know how Olympia works, Mike. It just yeah, doesn't work that it way. Doesn't work that but way. no, I mean that's the thing, and le- and we just have to remember that this is not a model to pay back. We're not increasing the prices because our bond rating has gone down and we need to pay back. This is all about making it so high of a price that people choose to get out of those lanes. $10 wasn't doing it. We'll now see if $15 is a threshold where people will go, well, geez, that five bucks is my coffee. That's, you know, a beer tonight. You know, maybe I'll, you know, 10 was my limit and we'll see. It's a pricing people out model uh, and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, as we saw already today, it was higher than the typical maxes on a day when I don't believe in the past it would have reached this high of a number. So the algorithm is definitely, uh, uh, you know, like the juiced baseball. So it's a, I, it's a I little high. I hear from our drivers who have to do 405 or 167 on a daily basis. I'm just so thankful that I don't. Yeah. Because it would be, yeah. honestly, un- unbearable. And that would be, you know, we just got done talking about housing. Right. Uh, and the lack of affordability of housing. It would be the lack of affordability to drive on the freeway. And now we're talking about, you know, expansion on 520. Would it would it make any sense? I mean, so, for example, the calculus when you're paying a toll is to decide, wow, if I pay this toll, I can save X amount of time. Correct. Is there any way to know that in real time? For example, if, I'm, if, I, see that, if I see it maxing out and I switch into that lane, but I know that I can save 20 minutes and I need to get to work in 20 minutes or, or whatever time. I mean, is there any way to know that? The thing about that, Mike, is the message boards on 405 are not congruous like that. that. No, they're right. no, no, because there are reader boards that once you're, but you're, they're right about where you, after you would get into the, if I remember correctly, because you have not only, but if it were on the toll sign itself, that right. in addition to the price also gave you the travel time, totally. maybe that would make sense to do that. You'd have to have a little bigger gantry, but that would at least give you level the playing field. You'd know, totally. right? Because right now, once you get in there, then you see the sign that will say to Bothell, it's this via express. It's this. There are signs that and then say you that. Can make your own. You're already committed. Calculus, right. You're already committed at that point. That's why, um, you know, I, you know, we try to do that on the air as much as we can. You can do that via the app, uh, that at, my, you know, at uh, the Wash Dot app. But the problem is, no one should be looking at their phone like that to ac- <laughs> activate that calculus. Right. And it changes so quickly that what you see on your phone is like, oh, it's only six dollars there. You know, by the time you drive to the road, that could be eleven dollars. So that it, it changes pretty quickly. So you know, doing that calculus before you left the house. That's old data by then, right? And so but, th- that but would maybe, be an interesting idea to put those up there or, so people can make a better choice. Or in the morning, allow you to advance pay, risking that maybe it would actually get less than that, and so you're overpaying for toll, or potentially you could be gambled that you pay for this toll, but it ends up being higher, and you're actually underpaying it. Wow, point. so you could double down? Bingo. You could double, you down. Could double you, down. You'll take a hit on, uh, I'll take why a hit not, on those $10 that it's not going to a little 50. gambling Ooh. element to this? I, I think it'd make it more, from a toll standpoint, make it a little more wow, fun. that's kind of interesting. I, wow. I like that, Mike. You're, you're an idea toll, man. toll futures, essentially. Well, kind of like we're doing with carbon credits. Bingo. There, there we you go. go. 
Okay, just real We've quick. We just solved it. <laughs> just real quick, because uh, if you don't have enough tolling, if you want more tolling, uh, oh, I've got more, it for more, you. More tolling could become. And this is the one that, I, that has really flown under the radar in the legislature. I don't know where it's going to go because I don't handicap the legislature, but there is a bill that has passed the Senate, like the full Senate. They voted on this and now pushed it to the House that would expand tolling on five twenty. And I'll explain why in a moment. But just so you know, it would basically, by law, you can only, it was written in when they started tolling, when they did the project to start paying for this, you can only toll the section across Lake Washington. Right. That's written into the rule for only the floating portion of the bridge is where the toll is. This Senate bill would expand it from I-5 all the way to Redmond. So you would be paying some sort of toll on any portion of 520. Now, the reason for that is estimates to finish the project, like to go from Montlake to I-5 over Portage Bay, is running 70% over estimates. Almost $600 million estimates are higher than what Washtenaw was expecting, and they don't have that money. So they're like, okay, we expanded the entire corridor with the toll and throw that money into helping us bridge that gap. I don't know. If I get more unhappy with overpriced projects or ridiculous estimates, because I don't get it. Like, who keeps their job being 70? If you're 70% off as an airline pilot, you don't keep your job, much less your life. Like, so, so how on earth do people like get estimates that badly wrong so consistently? Yeah, again. Or, or is it basically um, yes. intentional deception yes. to, to, yes. Yes, to get people to buy into yes. a project? Project, and then it's like, yes. oh, oops. Oops, sorry. Change yeah, order. And, and so if you're 70% off, how about you try to find 70% where you can cut elsewhere? Remember, just- Sound Transit did have to do that uh, as they were because over yeah, the $500 right. million dollars over budget going to Linwood because the housing prices went up. Right. They, you know, they All didn't the anticipate. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That drove it up. And so what did they do? They cut out a station, I believe. They cut it. You know, the stations went from looking like Taj Mahal's to being somewhat utilitarian, which they probably should have been on the front end. Bingo. So, but anyway, yeah, all good points. But yeah, they're going to get you one way. As G likes to say, they're nickel and diming you. It's, it's, that's the way it is, baby. Sully, thank you so much. Yeah, have a great Love Friday. You. you too. Okay, still ahead, we're going to talk about Comic-Con, which happens every single year. And I need help understanding the appeal because I know a ton of people. Okay. Love this time of year. And so I want you guys to help me. All right. I, I, I've, I got the perfect tool. Okay. <laughs> Great. That's coming up next on the Gia Nursla Show. Show G is out today. Mike Lewis is in. And before the break, I said, y'all are going to have to help me understand the big draw when it comes to Comic-Con, which is happening this weekend. Uh, Paul Holden is here and he is going to explain why it is what tens of thousands of people come. Yeah. And if you heard earlier, Sam Campbell's reporting that uh, the visit Seattle saying that this is going to bring like something like twenty five million dollars into the local businesses down there. But the selling point, it's it's just an, an event where people that are really passionate about a lot of different types of pop culture. And it's it's more than just video games or comics or TV. There's a little bit of everything. It's a place for people to go and really celebrate. When the first nice. thing, one of the first things I saw when I walked in there yesterday to pick up my badge was a family of four all dressed up 
in costume from a popular anime. And I, I just love that type of stuff. But uh, not only that, you get the chance to see some of them really famous faces. And uh, here is uh, Chris Delando. He's the event manager for Emerald City Comic Con. And I talked to him uh, for Seattle's Morning News. Yeah, we are incredibly excited about our guest lineup this year. As you mentioned, it is completely stacked. And we uh, we really do think we have a little bit of something for everybody. So we're obviously really, really excited about Chris Evans coming to the show. He'll be here on Friday and Saturday. Um, but we've got Jodie Whittaker from Doctor Who, Christopher Lloyd, Christina Ricci, the cast of Critical Role, Avatar, The Last Airbender, Twilight, guest from Supernatural. So, yeah, really just a completely stacked lineup. And that's not even scratching the surface. I mean, you got Frodo and Samwise from Lord of the Rings coming, Elijah Wood. You got uh, so many other. You got Lando from Star Wars. So I myself am not into going and meet, spending the big bucks to get the autograph and photo opportunities. I'm more excited by just being around people that love pop culture as much as I do, because I, I, I'm I'm a self-admitted nerd. I know if you're not watching, I got my custom Mario baseball jersey on. It. Uh, it's got my name on it. So it, it's just an opportunity for people like me to go and, and celebrate stuff that we love. Okay, uh, 360 texted in and said, Comic-Con is a chance for you to buy more trinkets. And I was like, thank you. That is verbiage that I can understand, because I'm all about the trinkets. So you could buy a lot of this stuff. Too. I will be spending a lot of money this weekend. <laughs> that is for sure. Collectibles and, and stuff that you that you might not have, uh, see every day. So, But that's my question about collectibles. I mean, the weird thing about that, I, I, I agree with you. I kinda, I've i been to Comic-Con. I kind of dig it. I dig it. It's like a place where everyone seems to be in a pretty good mood. Mm-hmm. You know, and, they, and, they're, and they're enthusiastic and they're around like-minded people or like-dressed people <laughs> for, a, for a period of time. But the collectibles market is kind of weird because there's a lot of speculators in that market as well and people who are not doing it for enthusiasm, but they're doing it to make some dough. And that stuff exists a lot on the web. Are you actually able, when you go to one of these things, to find anything new or original at the actual Comic-Con, or is all that stuff existing mostly online these days? Oh, I think... Do you, you, do you get my drift? Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is an opportunity for you to find things. I'm, I'm actually looking for comic books that I haven't been able to find online at all. So I, I have a... It's a very specific tie-in video game comic book series that was a very limited run, and the, the only chance for me to see to get these comics really is to either spend a boatload on some third-party website, or really, I'm going to be in there digging Digging through crates and crates of uh, of comic books looking for this. I think if you know what you're looking for, Fair if enough. you really understand the collectibles, because there's people definitely there that will be careful because there will people that I've paid a little bit extra for something that I thought I was getting a little bit more of uh, right. at, at one of these conventions. And it turns out I didn't quite get exactly what I thought. I, I bought a, a, a box for a video game and I thought the video game actually came inside the box. Oh, but, and you were just buying but the it, box. it was just the box. But that market does exist. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, I have zero doubt yeah. it exists. That's right. It's it, it, so um, so that's one thing that I learned. And I was like, I need to make sure that when I am making these purchases of collectibles, I'm asking the right questions. I'm really talking and re, you can research some of the vendors too. do a quick Google. They'll have their display oh, out sense. there right. as yeah. well to see because a lot of people are taking their online stock and bringing it uh, up there. But if you know what you're looking for, you, you can definitely find collectibles. And I know we, we might be getting close on time. Uh, what's really cool, too, is this is a professional development opportunity for some folks as well oh. at, at Comic-Con. And I just want to play one more uh, clip from Chris here. We're excited to be able to offer portfolio reviews this year. Um, so we have some editors coming out from DC Comics who are actually going to be doing some appointment uh, portfolio reviews with local creators. And hopefully that's what they'll need to take that next big step in their careers. So this is an opportunity for comic book artists, uh, writers or, or people to show off their work to some of the big the big names, the people that you want to work with, DC, Marvel and, and all sorts of uh, other companies. That to me 
I didn't know anything about that until you just now played that clip. That, to me, is the smartest and biggest development in comp because there's a whole bunch of people who do not have access to the people who make the decision makers and getting your portfolio. If you're a creator in front of these people, that's a game changer potentially. I mean, that is really a cool opportunity there. I'm, that's a smart addition to Comic-Con. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a moment. Cause you know, it might not, you might not land the job with them, but you might get the feedback you need, or you might land the job with them. They, totally. you, you might somehow be right. exactly what DC or Marvel was looking for, for their next thing. And you did it because you just went to Comic-Con. So man, it's, it's, it's just something that for nerds like me, you really just get to well, go. I don't and, know that it's and just, and, and I think of nerds as a a, a positive description, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, right. because Ernie and Kent just texted and said, you should go one year. And he, he talked about going with his youngest son and they had a blast. I really should go because it's something that I hear every single year and I hear the enthusiasm. I'm all about people dressing up, people having fun. Mm-hmm. I know someone else mentioned there's traffic and, and there are big crowds. Well, but, but, but I mean, think of it this way, Ursula. You like cruises. whole bunch of people dressed similarly, packed in a small environment with yes. entertainment. Spending a lot it's of money. Exactly yes. Spending a lot of money. This is exactly what you do. Oh my gosh, but, it's yeah, so and, true. And, and you know, just the last thing, who doesn't want to go see the voice of Spongebob Squarepants and his 12-piece band totally. perform tonight? I totally. mean, that, that's going to be the thing. And they just do so much stuff. You, you get a lot of value for your ticket, too, I'd say. Oh, that's very cool. Okay, how much is a ticket? How much uh, are the tickets? Saturday is sold out. So tickets boy. available for today and Sunday. I'm not going to lie. I didn't pay for a ticket because I'm covering it You're for, for us, so I, I was able to go in. But uh, I will gig. say, if you want to get that autograph session or photo yeah. with some of those big names, you be prepared to spend some money. I think for Captain America, it was something like 200 bucks. Ooh. So it's it's expensive, but uh, worth it if you if you really love the stuff. Paul, thank you so much. Thanks Appreciate for having you. me. Okay, still ahead, we have Michael Medved joining us. This is the G and Ursula Show.